presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of CSI. Thank you for joining us today. For much of the last two decades, Colorado has been very highly ranked among the U.S. states for being business-friendly. This has been reflected in the state-by-state rankings extolling Colorado's relatively low tax rates, highly educated workforce, and high quality of life. These positive factors reinforce patterns that increase the size and scope of Colorado's business community and workforce and the overall economic success of the state. In 2023, however, the outlook has changed. On one hand, There are certainly reasons to be optimistic about Colorado's business environment, as recent job and business formation suggest that our economy has rebounded quickly and from a national comparative basis very quickly from the pandemic and as is currently weathering the storm amidst the battle of lower inflation. CNBC recently ranked Colorado number four on its list of top states for business for 2022. On the other hand, beneath these positive indications, there are signs that the direct and indirect costs of doing business in Colorado are beginning to threaten our state's competitive edge. We're going to discuss that today and see what kind of implications, if any, there might be. I'm joined today for a deeper discussion on this issue by Lang Sias and Lauren Furman. Lang is CSI's 2023 Mike A. Laprino Freener Prize Fellow and a former Colorado state representative and a current commercial pilot. But there's more to it than that. And let me share, if I may, some of Lang's background, which we can appreciate his his expertise on the topics we're going to cover. Lang has a JD from the University of Michigan, as if that's not enough education. He has an MS from the London School of Economics. And even before that, Lang was a U.S. Navy lieutenant colonel, and a Top Gun instructor. Lang, did, did you have anything to do with Tom Cruise and Maverick? I had nothing to do with Tom Cruise, but uh, <laughs> uh, he's, made some, he's made some entertaining movies. As importantly for the state of Colorado, Lang has been involved in the legislature and several of the local community efforts, but in the legislature, over 85% of uh, Lang's bills were sponsored bipartisanly. He focused on solving problems in the areas of education, healthcare, and small business. Lang, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. Well, thanks very much, Earl. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm also pleased to welcome Lauren Furman, President and CEO of the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. Lauren has been involved in the state's business environment for over for many years, but for 16 years, she has been with the state Chamber of Commerce. In 2020, she was voted Colorado's most influential woman up and down by Denver Post. Lauren, congratulations on your past awards and the many boards that you've served on during that period of time. Thank you so much for your commitment to Colorado. Thank you, Earl. Thank you both for joining us today. Let's start off, Lauren. People from outside of the state have an image of Colorado as an attractive, prosperous place. Lauren, why is that? And how has this advantage shaped our business community? Thank you, Earl. 
Like it's really important uh, on behalf of the state chamber of commerce that we understand how businesses feel across the state. What are some of the headwinds? What are some of the tailwinds? What is it that makes our state so great? And to do that and to learn more, we spent a lot of time developing research and data, understanding how businesses feel right now uh, based on some of the new challenges that they've been facing over the last couple of years. We did statewide CEO surveys. We did quantitative confidential CEO surveys. Uh, we just traveled around the state last week in different regions asking those same questions. We developed economic analyses and assessed the Colorado competitiveness compared to other states. Uh, what I can tell you, Earl, is based on all of that research and development that we have done, we are very concerned about how things are going with Colorado and what used to make Colorado so great, our diverse economy, our natural beauty, our recreational opportunities, all of those things are starting to be outweighed by some of the weaknesses and very concerned on behalf of the State Chamber of Commerce that our business climate is deteriorating. Some of the factors that we learned from our research very complex, cumbersome laws and regulations that have been adopted over the last eight to 10 years, increasing wages and benefits, getting harder to recruit talent. Some of the factors there are the high cost of housing across the state and public safety. We're going to get into some of the data later on in your questions, but public safety, we are now number one in property crime across the nation. So again, based on our research, we are very concerned about uh, Colorado's competitiveness. These are risks that uh, site developers, um, site selectors look at when they consider what states that companies want to invest in. And we are losing companies to surrounding states and beyond surrounding states because some of uh, the business climate that is more favorable in the those other states. I hope we can get into this to explore it a little bit more, but one quick follow-up. When you say you go around the state, so you're talking to large business as well as the preponderance of small business biz who are trying to build their, ec their economic future in the state. Is that a fair comment? That's correct. Just last week, I traveled to, across the four corners of the state and met with over 150 business representatives and business leaders in those different regions and asked a variety of different questions. What are the challenges that they're facing and what are the good things that uh, are happening in their community? And so we are assessing all of that information and we're going to develop a blueprint for the long-term health of, of the business climate here in Colorado and shared some of the statewide data. But the whole purpose of going to those different regions is to learn specifically what are the challenges in those regions? Do they differ from the statewide data that we see right now? And are there specific areas that we need to address in those regions? Thanks, Lauren. Lauren, I want to go to you next, and maybe you can give us a little bit more flavor as to what, what's going on uh, that's supporting the comments that uh, Lauren is making. I understand that Colorado has been one of the country's fastest growing states for some time. That's well, we brought our business here in 1978, a long time ago. Uh, no doubt because of the rich opportunities afforded by you know, strong industries, we've seen some of that in-migration occur and growth. Lang, how is this reflected in the migration patterns now and the composition of the state's workforce? Well, sure, Earl. If you go back, and you're correct, Colorado for quite some time has been a very attractive place to come to work and to and to do business. And that is has been reflected uh, up until recently in the migration patterns. And 
uh, Colorado between 2011 and uh, 2020 actually ranked number four nationally in net inward migration. And that played directly into the quality of our workforce. And anytime there's sort of a study or a ranking of Colorado's business environment, the quality of our and the, the highly skilled nature of our workforce always is mentioned. And in what is, has traditionally been known as the Colorado paradox, we actually have, we rank number two in the nation for the percentage of our workforce that has a college degree, yet only 44% of our high school graduates end up going on to college. And so we have done that by importing talent, and we've been able to do it very successfully up until the last couple of years. I understand our postgraduate degree population also is one of the highest in the country. So that uh, that's always been kind of a, a point of pride for us in Colorado. Do I remember that correctly? Uh, yes, sir. And I don't have the, the number in my and the tip of my tongue, but it is very high. And it's it's one of the reasons why, you know, workforce and then technology and innovation are two of the areas where we have typically scored very highly. Well, aerospace is one of the for Colorado is one of the top industries and we're leading yeah. in that area as far as on a per capita basis. Absolutely. And and we have a, a significant uh, technology env- environment, including life sciences here. I mean, there are really some exceptional things that have gone on in Colorado, fueled by the great minds that have come here. We'll talk about the last few years, if you would. Uh, Colorado, as some studies from CSI have pointed out, we have rising crime. And Lauren, you mentioned that. And Lauren, you also mentioned affordability of housing. And there's been in the news a lot lately. Are people and businesses still flocking here? What's What's the current trend? Help us out. Well, what we are seeing in the last two years, we've actually seen a pretty dramatic drop off in net migration into Colorado. We've seen a drop off in the last two years of about 80 percent. And Colorado, which I mentioned, had been ranked number four over that previous period of time, very suddenly dropped to number 18. And we don't we would never assert that two years constitutes a trend, but that should get anybody's attention and and force us to ask, well, what's going on? Why are people making these decisions not to move here or to leave here? And why have the numbers changed so dramatically? Um, and you point to crime, and that certainly is quite possibly an issue, but the some of the cost issues are what we uh, have been focusing on uh, here most recently. Blaine, I want to push a little bit more on the topic of migration. You know, it's one thing just to say it's dropped off, but uh, you all had a Remy model that you work with that sees what the unintended consequences of various things that if they continue could happenly be. Uh, I know you used the Remy model in your study. I often refer to the the impact of something like the multiplier effect. If this trend were to continue or just take into account what's occurred in the last two years, what's the impact uh, with regards to uh, further improvement over the next few years or even 10 years due to the uh, fall off of migration in the last couple of years and if it were to continue? Well, it, 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 you're quite right. And doing doing modeling on this, 
the consequences could be pretty significant. And it depends why the drop-off has occurred. If the drop-off is an anomaly and we we are able to replace those folks pretty quickly, then the impact is, is fairly minimal. If the change in migration is driven by an actual structural change in the cost of doing business, um, then the impacts are, are far, far greater and they grow over time. So for, an, for example, just a 1% increase in the cost of doing business in Colorado across, if we do that across all sectors, it actually reduces the labor force by 53,000 over two years. And the job loss is more than double the size of the labor force reduction. So it jumps up to 130,000 against that, uh, that baseline. So, uh, the impact of rising costs, uh, on migration is, is significant. And I think also in a state that has had to import its high quality talent or, or a significant percentage of it for so many years, if all of a sudden it gets harder to do that, I think just intuitively we can see that's a, that's a significant consequence for the state and its businesses, especially its high tech businesses. I'm going to, I want to explore that a little bit more in just a second, but can, can you give us a reference point about are we experiencing the same thing as other states? I mean, so maybe this is a nationwide thing, or is it, at least in the Rocky Mountain area, unique to us? That's a great question, Earl, because, of course, we anytime we look at migration data that reflects a period during COVID and some of the economic turmoil we've had, we look at it and say, okay, that's that's interesting, but... So one of the things that we did in our report we'll discuss was compare our migration statistics against a number of other states nationwide. And the most interesting piece of information was that when compared with two of our geographic peer competitors, Arizona and Utah, Colorado's results really stand out because during that period when our net migration dropped by 80%, theirs actually continued to increase. And they ended these last two years ranked, I think, number four and number nine nationally as compared to our pretty precipitous drop. That should be concerning because we really do stand out um, in that regard. Uh, Lauren, I want to go back to some things you said about your survey. And, and you've been with the Colorado Chamber 16 years, so you certainly understand what we refer to oftentimes as the positive hooks on our economy to get people here and stay here. But our, our business leaders... Uh, as far as you're concerned, and you said you've been to all four corners, and can you take 2019 as a reference point, the pre-pandemic, and kind of reflect on where their mindset is now relative to where it was on the pre-pandemic uh, as far as the future of Colorado goes, economic future of Colorado goes? Thanks, Earl. I'm going to give you a snapshot of what's a bit scary of what we've seen in terms of the data. It varies a little bit from what Lang said, but very similar. Just in a 10-year span uh, between 2011 and 2021, we were number five in job growth, number eight in wage growth, and number four in GDP. Looking at just the year 2021, and of course that was during COVID, we dropped dramatically for the state. We were number 16, 12, and 22 in GDP. Then if you look at some of our competitiveness ratings, like I mentioned before, and Lang did mention as well, cost of doing business, we're number 36 right now. Cost of living, 36. Most affordable housing market, we're at the bottom. We're 46. So I don't attribute the pandemic wait, 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 to wait, wait. decreases. Wait, affordability of housing, we're at yes. the bottom? 46. We are 70%, oh 70% above the national average for housing. 
or competing with San Francisco and New York now. That to me is just amazing. Now, I will tell you when you ask the question about other states, we're not in a place where we're places like in the South, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, which look significantly worse. A lot of that is based on climate. Uh, cost of living is also high. Believe it or not, less inclination to work. Um, so we looked at all of those factors in Colorado. Believe it or not, we're in a, in a much better place than some of those areas in, in the southern region or the east coast like Connecticut or even California. So, but we are, as I said before, we are losing our business leaders. When we did our our interviews with about 25 CEOs, very confidential interviews and asked the question, why are you moving some of your operations out of the state? It was really interesting. One of them said, look, I'm going to move my operations to Europe because it's a lot easier for me to find talent in Europe. It is a lot easier for me to distribute our goods. Um, Wages are lower. We also talked to a manufacturer here in Colorado and they said, I can't afford to hire hire people because they can't afford to live here. And we are hearing that all over the state in different regions across the state, not just Denver, not just the metro area, um, especially in the mountain communities. I was just up there last Wednesday and this was so compelling to me. They can't afford to keep nurses. Nurses can't live in the mountain communities. And so the hospitals are having to rotate nurses out. There's a real need, and we'll talk a little bit about workforce. There is a real need for specific specific occupational uh, areas that in across our state where there isn't enough um, homegrown talent uh, because they're having to bring in from outside the state or outside the region. Well, I, I remember uh, having come here in 1978, this is one of the most spectacular places in the world to have a chance to uh, build a business, live, enjoy yourself uh, as far as all of the amenities associated with it, the education, the colleges all around us. I mean, if you could come to Colorado, uh, you were fortunate to have a chance to be here, build your business and raise your family. Let's shift this discussion if we could, uh, Lang, to why are these problems arising? If the pandemic isn't the cause and other states aren't having the same issue that we've just talked about, is Colorado still relatively healthy and it has, still has a you know, skilled workforce? We said that. Why is why are businesses uh, less optimistic about taking advantage of what's going on or can they even or are there some advantages that they can realize? So I go back to some of the areas that we talked about in terms of the need for skilled workforce. That is one of the biggest challenges that businesses are feeling right now. What they have also shared with us, over 40% responded in a survey to us that these growing and changing laws and regulations are making it much, much harder for them to operate here. It was shocking to me when we heard from our consultant that did this statewide survey. Um, and they do the surveys for um, state chambers across the nation. They had never seen the regular regulatory environment bubble up as much as it did. And it was over 40% in responses from business leaders across the state. And the answer is, is we need to roll back some of these things. We need to figure out whether they're even being effective right now. Um, and we need to show some restraint. 
as state leaders um, in the legislature. Let some of these policies take effect first, but there may be some policies that we need to start rolling back. But what we're seeing at the state capitol is a pile-on effect. Um, more air quality regulations, more labor and employment regulations. All of these things create that cumulative effect that make it harder and harder for businesses to operate here, which is why they're looking at other areas to where they can locate, not just some of the, um, not just the housing issues, not just crime issues. What else is creating these challenges for businesses? This is a perfect example. Lane, one of the things that uh, astonished me in your report was that uh, we we have regulations that come out, one, 1. 1.2 regulations per day come out from the state. I was talking to a lawyer last night about this particular report and I accused him of having the uh, these regulations and the state providing the, uh, the Lawyers Unemployment Act, uh, or Full Employment Act is what I meant to say. Talk about some of these new policies. Uh, which are the most impactful? Are they really costing Colorado's money without delivering uh, uh, much substance? And what we tried to do in this report was to focus on a subset of laws and regulations in the two areas that dovetailing with the surveys and the data that Lauren generated, we tried to focus in these two areas and one was in labor and employment and the second was in environmental regulations. So we're just within those two subsets. But uh, what we found was a host of laws and regulations that have been instituted or are being contemplated right now um, that are going to drive costs up only some of those can be quantified. And what we found was a, a group of just seven of them that in the aggregate are posing annual long-term costs on business of about $2 billion a year. And whether they're providing value or not is in fact the, the debate that, that we think ought to be happening here. But there is a cost associated with them and in the aggregate, they impact, we believe, impact our competitiveness. So just to give you a couple of examples, um, one is the family leave medical program, which frankly was voted on, uh, you know, was passed via ballot measure by, by all the voters. But that is a cost annually of almost $900 million a year on business, plus over $400 million uh, paid by employees that just went into effect. So like many of these things, uh, we either haven't yet felt the impact or we're just beginning to. Another one was to rise the unemployment insurance base wage. Uh, a third one is a mandatory sick leave, which is very, very different from what most, most states have. And again, all of these arguably have some benefit. The question is, to put it, to put it bluntly, is the juice worth the squeeze, particularly taken in the aggregate and as it impacts collectively as they impact our competitiveness. You know, I, I looked at those particular laws and it came, I, I concluded along with some of our people and our HR staff, that the companies that are really being impacted by our small businesses, yes. small size businesses. And that's, uh, if I remember correctly, about 70 to 85% of the, the Colorado economy is small, mid-sized. Am I, am I right on that, right on that, Lauren? 90. Is that a part, partly correct? A little bit more, about 90%. 90% is, uh, these are costs to the growth of our economy here. The other one that struck me, uh, Lang was HB 21-1282. Now, they, they are trying to, uh, 
uh, figure out how they can uh, control carbon from from buildings and the carbon emission that, that's created by the various buildings around the state of 50,000 square feet or higher. Uh-huh. I'm a banker. Let me pose this to you if I could. And Lang, you've got your master's in economics. Lauren, you're out there talking to everybody. I'm a banker. And I pull up this form that I have in front of me, which nobody can see, that has to be filled out. And it tells me what my energy star score is. And it compares me then to others that are on a national basis and also to various ones in the state. And the law says that we're trying to get to, to a certain absolute number of carbon uh, decrease in carbon emissions. Now, I'm a banker, and I look at this, and I see that a 50,000-square-foot building has a high score, actually. And am I going to loan money to somebody that has a hidden cost, and I don't know how much that hidden cost might be, to uh, reconfigure their building so that they get a lower energy score to match up with this new piece of legislation? You know, we're, we're in the business of getting our money back, not losing our money, and the question becomes one of uncertainty. And all this is going to do is create more uncertainty in banking, particularly with regards to commercial real estate. And 60-some percent of commercial real estate is done by community banks nationally, and I'm sure it's that high here in Colorado. Unintended consequences, Lang, your response? My response is you're looking for a, a, a rate of return, and you have a risk calculation as well. So if you're going to loan that money, it's going to be at a higher rate to account for the for the unknown, to account for the risk. Absolutely correct. All that's going to do is it's I don't I don't know how you take that into account in your econometric modeling language. Good luck. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I I don't either because it, it, you know the more unknown it is, the the more you're going to have to charge to account for that and. And the fewer of those loans you're going to want on your books, I assume. Well, I can tell you the uh, uh, the OCC and all of the uh, regulators are going to certainly look at it. They won't be very tolerant of risk loans. I can tell you. No, that. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, they won't. And Earl, if I could return to just for a second to your comment about small business too, because you know, for example, you know, the impact on small business is huge, and that Colorado's 48-hour requirement. Uh, is the largest of any surveyed state for businesses with 100 or fewer employees. So this goes to the the competitiveness issue and the impact on small business. Well, talk about uh, that a little bit more about, on the benchmarking. Talk about that a little bit more about uh, how these policy changes uh, compare to other states, if you would. Well, one of the things that we did in the in the report was to again say, what does our environment look like? right now and what can we discern about the direction that we're heading relative to three different categories of states. And we looked at states that have been attracting uh, people and businesses, namely Florida and Texas. We looked at states where there's been a outward migration for a number of years, uh, New York, Illinois, and California. And then we looked at Arizona and Utah, again, as our geographic peer competitors. And just to to summarize the results of that, and they're in a table here, it's pretty clear that Colorado's policies, the recently enacted ones that we went over, uh, much more closely resemble what you see in the states that people are leaving than they resemble the states that people are going to. And they also uh, suggest that we're on a different vector, on a different path than those peer 
competitor, those two pure competitor states of Arizona and Utah. And I'm curious of, you know, Lauren's reaction to that, but, but that's what that analysis showed to us. I'm astonished by the comparison. I saw that. And uh, one of the things that also struck me, I know we've done some work on what's the real, what is the real tax base in uh, Colorado? And the real tax base is not our income tax. It's all the fees and the uh, income we have. So maybe we're getting a little bit closer on the total tax take at the state level to New York and uh, California than than we would like to think. But Lauren, how do you respond to what uh, Lang said? Is this something you're finding also? Is it's consistent with what we're finding. Um, there are businesses that are looking at other states like Utah, Texas, Florida, because like I said earlier, there are business incentives that are drawing them there. What I will also tell you is we look at risk factors also. And Colorado still remains a place where people want to come um, because of our natural beauty, recreational opportunities. We don't have hurricanes. We don't have tornadoes. Um, we are still in a place across the nation where we're desirable. And what we need to do is start thinking about some of these things that are eroding the business climate so that we can catch up and not be in a place where we're competing with, uh, where we're losing all of our businesses to those other states that I just mentioned and create more business incentives and start creating some restraint on some of these policies that have been adopted over the last eight to 10 years. But like I said earlier, you know, there are states that are in a much worse condition than we are, um, but this is the time and we should not be sitting on our hands and doing nothing. This reminds me of a basketball game with the team lost by 30 points and the coach says, don't feel so badly, boys, you could or girls, you could have lost by 50. And I'm saying, wait a minute, <laughs> what kind of reassurance is that? But I'm going to force the two of you, if you would, please. You've looked at it, you've given it a really hard look. What do we as Coloradoans need to look at and rethink so that we can gain uh, the, the attractiveness of the state and its business environment? What three or four things would the two of you say that we need to focus on over the next few years, locally and statewide, to so, so we can become what we're capable of becoming in this state. I would say we need, we need to start peeling back some of those laws, regulations, determine their effectiveness um, before we continue to move those goalposts on on new regulations. Uh, would also suggest that we find some achievable solutions on workforce. Uh, there are some. Great folks that have been working on workforce for the last 20 years, but yet we still hear from businesses that they can't find the talent for the jobs that they need to hire for. Um, and so we need to develop some more homegrown talent in those regions across the state. Um, we need to start reversing our legal climate. We haven't talked a lot about this, but trial lawyers are making strong inroads here in Colorado. We were number 16. We're now number 21. So we need to start changing some of these laws and policies that are creating more and more expensive litigation for our state. And so those are just some of the things that we identified through our research and listening to folks across the state and what they were telling us the challenges were in their regions. Right. Well, I would just say, and if you can permit me a military analogy, the, you know, there's a saying in the military that uh, you can have the best plan in the world, but the enemy gets a vote. Um, and and I, I would never characterize other states as our enemy. 
Um, but there are our competitors and they get a vote in this as well. And so what I would I would implore of our policymakers to do is to, you know, to take a look at the net impact. Um, it is one thing to do cost benefit analysis of individual laws and regulations. And I think we we have a long way to go before we're really doing that properly. But it is another thing altogether to start looking at the aggregate impacts and how those aggregate impacts affect our competitiveness nationally and, as you point out, internationally, um, because we have competition from there as well. And before we, in looking both at what we already have on the books and what is being contemplated, let's take a very, very close look at those aggregate impacts, what they do to competitiveness before we layer costs upon costs and erode our competitive position. Because as Lauren says, as you have said, you know, this remains a very attractive place to live and work. We want to keep it there and we want to make sure that we haven't put ourselves on a path that's going to erode that and make it just too expensive a place to live and work. Okay, I, I'm not going to let the two of you off the hook, and I know we're running out of time, but let's take the comment about aggregate impact. And it seems to me, Lauren, you were feeding into that. You talked about education, crime, workforce, affordable housing. What I hear you saying, Lang, is, hey, taking each piece is, is good. It's well intended, but looking at the whole is important. Who would do that? Uh, where would we look for the leadership? to find the aggregate uh, impact? Where should I, as a citizen and a concerned citizen in Colorado, look and say, hey, are you are you doing the aggregate impact analysis so that we uh, can get back to where we'd like to be as a state? Who, where, what organization? I'll, and I can, I can start with that. Well, where we'd like to see it happening is in, is in the legislature, um, frankly, because that's where much of this is coming from. But to see it happening in the legislature and then in concert with groups like CSI that are working on on the outside to do the, to do this analysis. But I'd like to see it happening in both places. Lauren, what, what are your thoughts? We are leaning on some uh, economic economists that do this kind of work in other states. And so they're gathering even more data for us on the aggregate impact of all of these laws, regulations, um, and see where we can start moving the needle. Where can we actually start rolling back some some of these things? But to Lang's point, I mean, we also need to have some motivation by the legislature too. Unfortunately, we don't have a great economic dynamic modeling model for the state of Colorado to actually see the impact on the private sector anytime the legislature passes a new bill, that would be nice to have something more in place for the legislature to see that private sector impact. But that's just an well, example. Well, as you know, CSI has a, a dynamic model, uh, Lauren, and we, we try to keep up with the bills, but we unfortunately have to pick specific issues and then, then work on those issues. But uh, I think your idea, uh, both of you, on an aggregate study of placing some priorities on things has a lot of merit. Thank you so much for all of your time today and for what both of you have done for the community. I, Lauren, your years of service in the Chamber of the Business Community, Lang, in private enterprise as well as uh, at, at the state level and community levels, we're very fortunate state to have the two of you be so active and and involved. Uh, thank you so much for participating in today's podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank, thanks so much for the chance to be here. Really appreciate you. You're welcome. 
Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstitute.co.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.